Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. One of our highest values here at Ebenezer is prayer. We count it a privilege to bring everything before the Heavenly Father. And He tells us that He knows our needs and our requests before we even ask. And yet God continues to just wait upon us and and sit with us and listen as we bring these things to Him, despite Him already knowing. He loves that when we do that. And so we want to bring our needs and our, our praise before Him this morning. Please join me. Heavenly Father, first of all, we want to thank you that you are a God who loves us so much. We want to thank you that you have made it possible to know you through Jesus Christ who gave himself so so willingly for us. Thank you that we can have that relationship. Thank you that we can bring our needs before you this morning as well. And first of all, we want to pray for safety in the midst of this pandemic. And our, our schools are reopening. Our kids, our grandkids are going back. Lord, we just commit them to you. Uh, for safety during this time. Give them wisdom to observe protocols. Uh, Give grace to our teachers, our our education uh, professionals. Lord, bless them in this time and give them the resources, uh, the understanding, the energy that they need in this time. We want to pray as well for those who are stressed, um, who are feeling mentally anguished at this point in time. I ask that you would meet them in those moments uh, when they feel down, when the blues just hit, or perhaps it's even worse. And I ask that you would give them strength in this moment. I pray that you would give them opportunity to just understand who you are and that they would sense your nearness and even hear your voice of love uh, in these times when people are feeling down. Lord, I want to pray for those who are experiencing financial distress uh, because of this pandemic. Um, I ask that you would undertake for them as well and that, that their, their needs would be met, that uh, they might see just in miraculous ways how you provide it and give them peace in this time. And Lord Jesus, uh, we want to pray as well for our church as we reopen. And there are, there are many dynamics about our ministries that we're trying to understand. Uh, give us clarity on that as we move forward for kids and for adults, for, for youth. Um, Lord, we just ask that you would be a part of that and just give us clarity as we plan our reopening and re-engage together. And so, Lord, we, we thank you that you hear these things, that we can spend time with you today, that in a moment we'll listen to your word. And Father, I just pray that you would, would meet us in that time, that the Spirit of God would open our hearts and that we would hear from you, that you would minister to us and challenge us and encourage us uh, from the message today that Leighton would share with us. And so we commit ourselves to you in these ways today, and we give you praise that you're here, that you're not a God who's far off, but that you know and that you understand and that you walk with us, that you're closer than a brother, that you never leave us or forsake us. And so, Lord, we commit all of these things to you today, giving you praise for who you are and for what you accomplish in our lives. We ask all of this now in that powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, Ebenezer family and friends. I want to begin today's sermon by asking the question I raised in last week's sermon. And that question was, what makes a church a church? Now, whether you have used these exact words or not, this is a question 
that a lot of us have been wrestling with in one way or another over the last six months. Like everyone else across all domains of society, the church has been thrust into a season of disruption. And we've been forced to rethink ministry and recalibrate uh, what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. For many of us, including me, our deeply rooted values and well-formed patterns and practices have been turned upside down during this pandemic. And even though we have reopened our doors, um, it's unlikely that the things we're going to return to are, are going to be the same as they were before, if ever. Which is why I said last week that we're all going to have to establish some new weekly rhythms when it comes to church. And we're all going to have to, to develop some new habits and practices so that we stay connected with God and with others. Now, whether we like it or not, or whether we think it's necessary or not, we're all going to have to find new ways to be the church in the season that we find ourselves in. And so again, I, I ask the question, what makes a church a church? Are we a church because we gather together in person under one roof in a church building like this? Well, maybe, but not necessarily. Are we a church when we meet together with other believers in a home, like they did in the book of Acts? It sounds spiritual, but are we the church? Well, possibly, but not necessarily. Can we call ourselves a church if all we do is meet together as an immediate family in our own home? Well, perhaps, but not necessarily. Now, in last week's sermon, we learned that in the original language of the Bible, the word we translate church is the word ecclesia, which literally means an assembly or congregation or gathering of called out ones. And as I said last week, the gathering together as the people of God is one of the things that characterizes the church. But it's not the only thing that makes a church a church. And that's why over the next three weeks, we're going to take a closer look at the DNA of the church. Those elements essential and core to who we are as the people of God. So that whether our Ebenezer family gathers together here in our worship center or with others from our Ebenezer family in an Ebenezer hub or bubble group or with your immediate family in your house, we will still be Ebenezer. We'll still be the church gathered together because we share the same DNA. Now, to begin with, I'm going to return to a passage of Scripture that we read last week, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And these verses are going to be an anchor text for the next three weeks because in them we find the DNA of a healthy church. This is what that passage says, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and their possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met at homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared the meals with great joy and generosity. And all the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. Now, in this description of the early church are three essential elements that every church must have for it to be the church. So first of all, the church is a church when it's centered on the word of God, the works of God, and the worship of God. And in the passage, you can see this highlighted with 
the apostles' teaching and the Lord's Supper and prayer and worship and praise. Second, a church is a church when it loves and cares for those in the family of faith. You can see in the scriptures there, the fellowship and the sharing meals and they met together and they were sharing what they had. And then third, uh, a church is a church when it naturally proclaims and demonstrates the power of God to its surrounding community. We see that with the miraculous signs and wonders and they gained the favor of the people and daily people were being saved. Now today I'm going to focus on the first of those. A church is a church when it centers on the word of God and the works of God and the worship of God. Now, I know this is not a new revelation, at least it shouldn't be. It doesn't take a theological degree to know that one of the central tasks of the church is to teach God's word and that one of the core practices of the church is to worship God, which is, of course, something that Ebenezer and many other churches place a high value on. However, what I, what I want you to notice and I want to show you today is just how important these things are in the eyes of God and how critical these things are for the people of God. Acts 2.42 reads, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I love reading about the first believers. They, they were all in. They devoted themselves. Uh, they jumped in with both feet. They, they made a commitment to listen and learn as the apostles opened up the scriptures to them. And the apostles did open up the scriptures. The way they taught was so different from what they had experienced previously. And by the way, they did know this and study the scriptures. That's why they're in Jerusalem. They were obeying the book of the law. But the apostles, they, they brought the scriptures to life. The old was new again. Their, their teaching was fresh and insightful. And they just couldn't get enough of it. It was like their eyes were opened. And the facts about the Bible that they had been taught shifted from being information they knew up here and became the living word of God. And how they related to these scriptures completely changed too. From a list of rules that had to be followed to a revelation of truth by God, of God, and about themselves. And I'm sure all the disconnected stories that they had been taught, that were bouncing around in their mind, began to all of a sudden sing together into one story. The story of God and his plan for the world. And so the scripture says that they eagerly met every day to sit under the apostles' teaching because they longed to know God better. They devoted themselves to hearing and understanding the word of God. It became central to who they were. And it formed them in their faith. You see, a church is a church when it's centered on the word of God and the works of God and the worship of God. Now let me just pause here and ask you a few questions. On a scale from 1 to 10, how would you describe your level of devotion to know God? On a scale from 1 to 10, how, how central is, is his word in your life? Is it shaping you and forming you? Is it capturing your heart and causing you to worship the one and only true God? Because a, a devotion to knowing God and his word is central to what it means to be the church. And by the way, a devotion is never passive. Devoting yourself to God's word and to knowing him is not a plug-and-play event. It's not just like coming to church on a Sunday and sitting through a sermon and then leaving and never thinking about it again or talking with others about it. It's not just quickly watching an online service when it works for you 
and then closing your computer lid or shutting off your phone and conti continuing with the rest of your day. It, it involves commitment. It involves sacrifice. It requires discipline. And it engages other people. This focus on God's word and on things above was not just the central message of the emerging church. It was also the central message of Jesus. In Mark chapter 12, verse 29, we read of an encounter Jesus had with a religious leader who had come to ask him a question that he hoped would stump and trap him. And what was that question? Well, he said, what is the most important command in all of the scriptures? Or in other words, what is the one thing, that one essential of faith that everyone must know and do? And Jesus answered by quoting a well-known passage from the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And he said to the religious leader, the most important command is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now, when he said this, Jesus was declaring that the Lord God in heaven is most important and that complete devotion to him is the most important of all the commands. You see, according to Jesus, our first and primary relationship is always upward. It's directed towards God and it's rooted in God. And if we look at the original passage in Deuteronomy 6, we would discover a few more things about the centrality and the importance of God's word in our lives. This is what Deuteronomy 6, uh, verses 4 to 9 says. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Or later it says, Fix these things in your hearts and your minds. Verse 7, Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them on the, as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. So that the days and the days of your children may be many in the land of the Lord that he swore to give to you and your forefathers. Now, as you can see, this is not a once a week or once a month engagement. This is an all-in total commitment. It's a devotion. It's a discipline. It's, it's hands-on. It's god God is telling his people that if you want to really walk in faithful obedience to me, if you want to really know me and trust me, if you want to honor me and have your children honor me so that they walk with you and I walk with them and protect them and bless them, then you need to make me central in your life. You need to make knowing me your highest priority. That's how important this is in God's mind. And here's my promise to you, he says, if you stay devoted to me and you keep your eyes focused on me and you keep your mind set on me and if you keep your heart faithfully committed to me, then I'll go with you. And when I go with you, it'll go well with you. But when, he also goes on to say that if you neglect me or if you reject me or forget about me or if you choose to disobey me and ignore me, if you choose lesser things over me and you put other gods or other people or other priorities in front of me, that it's not going to go well for you and for your nation. Now, sadly, history proved these words to be true. In fact, um, the greatest predictor of success in the lives of those who we read about in the Scripture and the nation of Israel was their commitment to know and to follow and obey God's Word. And I believe the same is true for us today. 
when we commit to knowing God and knowing and obeying his word and walking with him, this is the life that God honors and blesses. But if we neglect God and his word and we put lesser things in front of him, life often becomes painful for us on this earth. Now, the Deuteronomy passage was, was given to Joshua and the nation of Israel just prior to them entering the land promised to them, which their fathers did not receive because of the disobedience. And Joshua and the people kept that covenant that we just read. And they devoted themselves to God, and God honored that, and he, and he gave them success. And he helped them to prosper. And even as Joshua's life came to a close, he was found faithful in, in leading his people in faithful obedience to know and serve God. Joshua 24, verse 14, at the very end of his life, he, he calls the people together and he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. And then he says, As an old man, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. But guess what happened? As soon as Joshua died, the people turned to other gods and they forgot their God. And true to what God's word said, it did not go well for them. Now many, many years later, King Solomon built and dedicated a temple to the Lord. And we're told in 1 Kings that the Lord heard his prayer when he prayed this prayer of dedication. And he said to Solomon, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did, and you do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, and I'll establish your throne over Israel, as I promised David your father, when I said you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you, and you go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them, and I'll reject this temple, and the name of Israel will become a byword an object of ridicule among all the peoples. And guess what happened? First uh, Kings 11 says that when Solomon grew old, his, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. And sadly, that this pattern of abandoning and rejecting and turning to other gods covered nearly a 400-year span of Israel's history. And during that time, the nation of Israel was characterized by open rebellion and disobedience against God, by idol worship, uh, by evil and detestable practices of every kind. In fact, we read that, that every single one of the 20 kings who ruled Israel in the north and 12 of the 20 kings who ruled over Judah in the south did evil in the sight of the Lord. Only two kings, two kings of the entire 40 who reigned during that period of time were truly devoted to to God and did what was pleasing to him. And I want to tell you the story of one of those kings because it shows us what happens when we devote ourselves to knowing God and following and obeying his ways. It's a story of J Josiah and it's recorded in 2 Kings uh, chapter 22 and 23. Josiah, you might know, became king of Judah at the age of eight. His father Ammon and his grandfather Manasseh were, were two of the most evil kings in all of Israel. They rebelled against God and they, they abandoned him for the gods of other nations and they took part in these detestable and evil practices. They ruled uh, Judah for 57 years in total. And their, evil, their rule was so evil that, that the word of God had been lost and forgotten. 
But it says of Josiah that, that he, did was, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in all the ways of his ancestor David. He did not turn from the right or left. Later at the end of the, the, the chapter it says, Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his mind and with all his heart and with all his strength, according to all the law of Moses. And no one like him arose after him. Scripture tells us that in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a 16-year-old youth, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor David. And even though the nation he led was spiritually bankrupt, and the temple was lying in ruins, and generation after generation, including his own father and grandfather, had abandoned and forgotten the ways of God. Just like the prophet Jeremiah says, he was one of the prophets during his lifetime, that if you seek me, you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. And that's what Josiah did. He began to seek after God, and he found him. At the age 20, Josiah initiated a plan for spiritual reformation. He understood the great spiritual truth that a growing and vibrant walk with God does not simply involve turning to God. It also involves turning away from other things. And so he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of things like uh, places of idol worship and carved images. He destroyed the altars of Baal and anything else that went against God and his ways. At age 26, under his leadership, the book of the law, which had been handwritten by Moses, was rediscovered while workers were cleaning and repairing the temple. It was brought to Josiah, and it was read to him. And when the king heard the words of the law, it says that he just, he tore his clothes. And Josiah's response was immediate, and it was significant. He recognized those words as the very words of God. And he recognized the presence of God in that sacred moment. If we were to continue to read the story, we'd see that this eight-year-old child king returned the centrality of the word of God back to his nation just because he made a commitment to put God first. He devoted himself to knowing and obeying his word. And he made a covenant before God to love him with all his heart, soul, and mind. Just like Deuteronomy 6 says, and just like Jesus says is the greatest commandment. Now they say that history is our greatest teacher if we let it be. And I believe it was Winston Churchill who also said, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And throughout the scriptures, we, we see God calling his people to love him first and most. To know him best and to follow and obey him with all our heart. When we gather together as a church, whether it's large or small, our primary focus needs to be upward toward God and towards knowing him and adoring him and worshiping him and obeying him. Because this is always the greatest predictor of success in our lives as well. If we neglect God's word, likewise, either by choice or because of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, or we abandon God's word in ways to pursue our own ways, it's not going to go well with us. In this season, let's renew our devotion to knowing God. Let's remember all he's done for us on the cross. And let's devote ourselves to prayer. I want to close with the words of the Apostle Paul. It's a benediction and a prayer for the people of God. It's found in Colossians chapter 
It simply says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let his words sink deep into your heart and mind and ponder it throughout the day and week. Talk about it with friends and pray that God would teach you by his spirit. Then it goes on and says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. In this season of forced isolation, let's create opportunities to connect with other believers, teaching them and being taught, admonishing others and being admonished wisely and gently. It says to singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. Let's gather together in worship, big groups or small groups, and declare the truths about God in song. And then it closes with in thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let's let our hearts be filled with thankfulness for who God is, for all he's done for us, and for the privilege of sharing this journey of faith with the family of God. A church is a church when it's centered on the word of God and the works of God and the worship of God. May you center your life on him today. Let's pray. Father, guide us today as we continue to worship you. Guide us as we set our hearts and minds on you. And may you and your grace help us to keep our focus in you, not to be distracted by the things around us. And may your blessing be upon us as we do that. Would you increase our ministry ministry and give us rest? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.